My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. Before we get to the news of the week, let's listen to this in case you missed it. So many of you know so much about this as well, and you're committed. And I want to thank all of you here for including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative... Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was going to be here. That's President Joe Biden speaking at the White House conference on hunger, nutrition and health on Wednesday. He tried to acknowledge the presence of Representative Jackie Wolorowski, despite the fact that the Indiana Republican had died in a car accident in early August. Marion, this isn't an isolated incident. Is he going to be well enough to stay in office, let alone run again? You know, um, Charlotte, my reaction to this was that cringe. You know, when you say something and you want to rip your tongue out and because it's yeah. such a gaff and you just go, oh, my God, what was I thinking? I, you know, there's a really strange thing where it's like, a, as my dad used to always say, if you get a reputation for an early riser, you can sleep all day. And I think the converse of that is if you get a reputation as a late riser, it doesn't matter how damn early you get up. I think Biden has a reputation, which is deserved, um, over decades of saying the wrong thing and being so gaff prone. And this is nothing new. But I think people already have this idea and it's been very well. And again, it's this thing where you let your opposition define you. That is who you are. And Biden is gaff prone. He is visibly an elderly 78-year-old man. Like, he's not a young guy. Like, Trump, as we've said before, is a young 76-year-old. And uh, I know we've joked up, whatever is fueling him, whether it's bile or rage or vitriol, but something, whatever he's putting in his engine, it's keeping that engine, you know, going, uh, you know, after a fashion where he does seem young, he does seem, he has some young stamina, and maybe it's Kentucky Fried Chicken, who knows, but he has a Biden does not. Biden is could be a decade older than Trump, even though there's only two years in it. And I think that Biden has always had this slightly, you know, I remember being at receptions and parties where Biden would be, he'd take a week to tell a story. I mean, he put, you know, shaggy dog tales were ignored. And he'd go off and he'd be anger down avenues and side streets and he'd come back up and he'd repeat himself. And you'd just be going, oh, Christ, would you ever get to the punchline? And invariably the punchline wasn't even a punch, it was a, a, a sort of damp sort of squib of a, you know, a, a, a punchline. So he's never been a guy who's been in any way punchy, coherent, concise with his thoughts. You know, he just mm. hasn't. This was 
oh my God, the embarrassment, because this poor woman, you know, the, the accident was tragic. She was being driven by her aide, a young guy who was, I think, 26, 27. He tried to overtake a truck and they were both killed. And it was a horrible, shocking, very tragic accident. Now, it, it, it could only took be place as, last month, though, Marion. It's not yeah, like it was this August. was a couple of years ago. Yeah. It was August. No, I'm, it's, it's a, I'm not going to say it's unforgivable because it wasn't an intent. You know, the problem is it wasn't. It was a total misstep, a misstep, a huge gaffe. And then, but I think that putting it in the context of is this guy's brain gone completely isn't really accurate because, you know, there, to me, the, the gaffes that are more reflective of a prejudice or a hatred or a failure to grasp foreign policy, and you know, which, which other presidents have done a lot more than Biden. I mean, you need to look at, at uh, and I don't want to do what about is, but with Trump now, if you had one speak the negotiator for peace between Russia and Ukraine, and when you think of the gaffes that Trump made that were so, they were malevolent and they were dangerous and they were destabilizing. This is none of those things. It is cringeworthy. And I feel mm. sorry for her poor family. And they're having apparently an event to honor her in, in, in Washington, D.C. quite soon. Now, you know, I think that he, you know, saying, Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? She must not be here. I mean, it couldn't be any worse in terms of her and her tragic death and her family and for Biden. That, you know, it, it just, it, 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 it can be in, Interpreted as just not just being out of step, not how, just being how dull, is that not, Yeah. How how is that not a reflection of a deterioration of his mental health? Like I know what you're saying is that somebody who tends to put their foot in it, it every slip of their tongue then sounds like oh, another one. In the same way as I remember a guy in school who uh, you know was considered hilarious, and then it didn't matter what he said. At a certain point, exactly. because he was saying it, it was funny. Yeah, he opens his mouth and people laugh. Yeah, y- yeah, his just presence is funny. The I get you on the point that the gaffes that get pointed at in these YouTube compilations, like him falling asleep at yeah. the uh, was it the COP twenty six uh, uh, summit, yeah. uh, the time he said he had cancer. I went to Holy Rosary Grade School. And because it was a four-lane highway that was accessible, my mother drove us, and rather than us be able to walk. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening. You had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. Um, Some of them are this kind of, you know, that's just what old men do. And some of it is that he kind of autopilots his way through some sentences and struggles to read the prompter. But some of it has to be a certain, like, why do we have to throw out the idea that his mind is deteriorating? Because he does make mistakes sometimes. Why can't both things be true? You know, I think that both things can be true. Um, but, I, and I, you know, when you're, as I say, he's an elderly 78-year-old. He is not at the peak of his physical or intellectual powers. There's no doubt about that. I personally think that he was too old to run for president the first time, you know, in, in 2020. I don't mean too chronologically old. I mean too, 
too almost organically old, that he was just an older old man. And, uh, mm. and I think that he's certainly too old to run in 2024. But having said that, I was actually looking at the things that he has achieved. Now, we all know that a president really is a figurehead in a lot of ways, and you have the advisors and you have the policy aides and you have the congressional liaison people who are working 18 hours a day to get stuff done, you know, to seize the moment. Uh, but at the same time, a president has to give at the minimum, you know, a green flag to that a direction to have their priorities uh, coming in. And I think that he's done a lot, which, and you know what's quite sad, Gerald, and I have to just say this, there's a, there's a Twitter, there's a Twitter feed or a Twitter, um, he has a Twitter address called Biden's Accomplishments. Now, very sadly, Biden's Accomplishments has, I think it is 11,000 followers on its Twitter feed. I have more followers than that. It's just like people. And it, it basically gives updates of things that we almost even forget. Like he averted that massive train strike a couple of weeks ago, which would have been catastrophic. That was gone in a second. This is getting a lot more attention than that achievement. Now, that's mm. how it works. Presidents. You know, that just is. But I think, you know, as you say, I think both things can be true. I think that he's by no means at the top of his game. Um, intellectually, but I would venture his game was never that sharp to begin with. But I yeah. don't think, like Reagan was no Einstein. Reagan was regarded as a transformative president for Republicans. I think Biden is no Einstein, but I think that he has done even what he has achieved with Ukraine, withholding the West together on that. And like the other stuff that he has done as well that hasn't been acknowledged because, as I said, the Democrats are so lousy at messaging and the Republicans are so good at being vicious that we, we do all see it from the perspective of, oh my God, Biden's going to fall over. Uh, we, like sure. George W. Bush, um, I remember, who was what? Was he in his 40s his, or early 50s when he became president? It was 10 gaffes a day. <laughs> you know, and, um, mm. and I suppose... Yeah, it's different like, though, Marion, because it, it, like, okay. I just think that your mental, your mental capacity at a certain point in your life isn't static. It is yeah. in decline. And we've all had relatives where you go, whoa, that that's not the way they were last Christmas. The yeah. bungling of the exit from Afghanistan was the first time I heard reference to, yeah, reference to whether, okay, is he on it? Is he, is he really with this? The, the White House doctor will, of course, say he remains, the direct quote is, he remains fit for duty and fully executes all of his responsibilities without any exemptions or accommodations. I mean, it really sounds, it almost yeah. sounds like great Russian leader is full and strong. <laughs> it, you know, of course you would say that. Of course they're making yeah. accommodations yeah. for how slow he moves and how things yeah. might need to be said a couple more times before. they Like the man had to overcome uh, stutter. This also needs yeah. to be brought into the conversation that yeah. maybe some of these gaffes are related to and you know, that part of him. That was one thing that I was going to say that his hesitancy, I think a lot of that are where he will seem to hesitate and sometimes he may be forgetting what he was going to say, but I think sometimes because he had to overcome this apparently absolutely crippling stutter, uh, that his, his cadence and his voice um, is you know, he can sound very hesitant for maybe he isn't. Funny now, I would not put the Afghanistan withdrawal, which was just a colossal policy and strategic 
failure. It was an absolutely enormous mistake. And um, I don't, I wouldn't put that in that basket. I think that that was a, a, another type of error where they were sort of saying, oh, well, Donald Trump put this in motion. Now people are going to go mad if we don't continue it. And oh, instead of actually just standing up and saying, I believe this is a mistake. I believe this is wrong. And, you know, they had this thing where guys like Jake Sullivan were saying, well, you know, if we don't pull out, then our soldiers are going to be targets. And if they blow up our soldiers on your watch, then you're going to be in trouble. And, you know, all of these, I think he made a weak decision there rather than an intellectually feeble decision. And again, it's not, I, it's not that I'm doing what about it, but it's just contextually. Do you remember when Donald Trump in the last, you know, over his, his, uh, presidency, he would use two hands to hold a small bottle of water. And people were saying, what's that? Like, as he got some kind of a, yes. and he couldn't steady, like, he literally drank a bottle of water like a three-month-old baby would drink his <laughs> bottle, with both hands up, and going to his steps or, or descending things. It would take him forever. Like, it literally would take him a week to get down steps. And mm. he said, oh, he has a thing about going down steps. But in fact, elderly people do go down steps very slowly because they're probably afraid of falling. And, and getting a serious injury if they do fall. So I think you do have it with, with older presidents. Reagan certainly had it as well. Look, Biden has, I think, problems in being articulate. He has a charisma deficit, that's for sure. He is, he'll never be a great orator. He never was a great orator. He, you know, he's, he was in the Senate for 40 years. The Senate is supposed to be the world's greatest center of deliberation where you hear all these speeches. I mean, Biden was one of the Senate leaders. And even then, when it, in his 40s and 50s, if you look at old footage, it, it, you know, good God, <laughs> like he could barely string a couple of words together. So I think, yes, he is declining, but I think the way that it's being piled on um, is inaccurate. I think the way that everything is being thrown into this basket of Usher, he's lost his marbles. Mm. I think when you, when you actually look at the strands individually, which people don't do because it's a better news story to say, oh, fact, he's lost it. You know, what's going to happen in 24? What was interesting to me was in that interview that he did about 10 days ago, where he spoke about the coronavirus pandemic being over. And, you know, he is right about that, even though people jumped up and down. And even though there are still three or 400 Americans dying every day from coronavirus, but the pandemic has passed, as in, the pandemic where the, you know, the, the world was shut down, where America was shut down, where everybody was sheltering in place. You know, and I think it was okay to say that, but it was it caused a furore in the States, like, how dare you say that when we're all still suffering? But um, so you know, the, there is a lot of everything a president says attracts not just scrutiny because it's the president, but it attracts both sides. People who just want to undermine this because that's what politics is about, and people then who want to deny there's anything wrong with him because that's what politics is about. I think it's in the middle. I think, as I said, mm. I think he is past his prime. It goes without saying. It's perfectly evident. But as I said, I don't think his prime, he was never a J.S. Kennedy. He was never mm. an Obama. But if you look at his achievements, and you know they are literally, I don't want to, to string them all out, but he has done a hell of a lot that has gone largely unsung and heralded in the last two years or 18 months or whatever. And having said that, on the flip side, you have galloping inflation, although that's a global problem. Uh, the petrol prices are now coming down and America is still really divided. But I think it can be said fairly that Biden has not added to that. But some of the things he's trying to do, a lot of them, in fact, are not to reward Republicans 
or Democrats specifically. They're not to reward rich people like Trump did, you know, against poor people. Things like wanting to find cures for cancer. Okay, they're all vague and aspirational. You know, wanting to reduce obesity in America, which you came out with this week, wanting to end hunger in America. These are things that everybody will benefit from. Things like, you know, when they introduced the child tax deficit, there are more poor white Trump supporters in the Appalachians who would have benefited from that than there are Democrats. I think that he does want to help people who need to be helped. And I think that's how he sees his presidency and not whether they're Republicans or Democrats. But American politics is so divisive that that doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter because everything is seen through the prism of that, A, he's a Democrat, and B, he's this shambolic old 78-year-old. So anything he must do must ergo be inherently doddery and stupid. Now, Sleepy Joe would say the unemployment rate in the great state of Ohio. No, no, you're in South Carolina. Joe, Joe, you're in South. They come up with you. Ever see the guy? The note? No, no, it's South Carolina. It's not Ohio. Okay. Then he goes, all right, Iowa. Did you say Iowa? No, no. I did that like seven times. If I did that once, it would be the end of the road, right? Be the end of the road. Well, if the Joe Biden might be losing it story is the easiest one for the press to write about, I feel like Hurricane Ian is one of the hardest because, yes, you get your blowing winds and devastation and all of these pictures that can be carried. But, Marion, the aftermath of something like this is going to impact not just the 2.5 million that were left without power, but it's obviously going to resonate through the year area for years to come. Can you put into context exactly how bad this hurricane was relative to the history of catastrophic flooding in uh, that part of the world? Um, you know, I think there are different metrics that you have to look at it by. The first one to me is always loss of life. Now, in that, it is not the same as the hurricane that devastated Puerto Rico, where we still don't even know. Um, that was, was that 2018? Um, where we mm. still don't know how many people lost their lives, where the, you know, the island is still struggling, recovering. That was the one where, and you may remember Donald Trump went and mobbed kitchen rolls and paper rolls at people. Oh, yes. So, yeah. and, and it was just appalling. So that, that was a really devastating hurricane. Now, also Hurricane Katrina, where again, and, um, you know, th th there has never been a definite finite number of the number of people in New Orleans back in 2005 who lost their lives. And I was down there um, to cover that hurricane. And oh, my God, it was just the catastrophe. But again, it was people who were desperately poor and desperately poor people tend to be disproportionately affected by tragedies because, A, they haven't got the resources to get out of Dodge. You know, some some people like you're told to evacuate and some people don't even have cars in these places. Mm. They can't afford bus fare if they have it. You know what I mean? Even if they can't afford trains. So it's it's all very easy to tell everyone to evacuate. Now, where this hurricane hit, which is the Tampa Bay area, Sarasota, I, I was just there ooh, four or five months ago. This is an area that has become hugely developed. It's an area that should never have become developed because it is an area that is vulnerable to, to weather, basically. And But it's got these beautiful long, long, long white beaches. It's about, I think it's about 700 miles of beach or whatever. And people are just going there and they're building houses. And they ha it's, it's kind of like a wealthier sort of area, as in it would be, it would be middle class. It's not like the Ninth Ward in, in Hurricane Katrina, which was really just a lot of poor people packed into really substandard 
overcrowded housing. So um, the hurry, so the, a lot of these people, 3 million people evacuated the area. Now, obviously a lot of them went by car, some probably went by train, by bus. They went up north and they went to stay with relatives and they went, you know, and there were also sort of like, America can snap in, especially a hurricane prone um, state like Florida. They have stuff in place, so they know that if there is going to be a hurricane, that they will open, they'll use the local arena or they'll use the town hall or they'll use whatever as shelter or the school gym. You know, so there is a sort of an almost, okay, this is what we do now um, in people's minds. So I think that in terms of so far, the loss of life seems to have been, and this may change, but it, it seems that it was not severe in, the, in that respect, that there hasn't been any kind of mass casualties as a result of this. Now, in terms of damages, billions of dollars worth of damage, two and a half million people are without electricity. And all, the, like, you know, a, four, a Category 5 hurricane is going to rip up roads. It's going to, I saw, like, just the, the, the intensive care unit of a hospital near Tampa Bay had its roof ripped off. And, and you know, that that is a watch this space situation. I hope there weren't any deaths amongst patients as a result of huge damage being done to that hospital. But yeah, you know, like catastrophic damage happens and, and these people rebuild and they don't leave Florida. And I've spoken to so many people, including a friend of mine who uh, was a, she was a former FBI agent. She moved to Sarasota and they live in Florida because the taxes are low and they choose Florida because it's got no state taxes or whatever. And, you know, you don't pay property taxes. But I'll give you another example, Jarlis. Ivanka and Jared Kushner, now don't laugh, please, listeners, but they have bought, um, they paid, I think it was either $17 million or $13 million for a plot of land. It was, it's basically a, a site uh, to build on a place called, I think it's Indian Island, and it's in Florida. And I remember looking at it, and it's right, and Giselle Bunch and Tom Brady are next door and some other billionaires are down the road after that. But this is basically a little spit of land that isn't even going to probably be there in 10 years. And they're building these multi, multi-million dollar houses on them. And you just think, what good hurricane? And they're, they're just going to be drowned. But people don't seem to, to you know, in Florida, I, I'm often amazed by, you think they must know this is going to be underwater in 20 or 50 years. And yet they go ahead and they build anyway. And the insurance companies charge them a fortune. And then the hurricane comes and they rebuild. And it just seems to be a cycle. And in fact, a lot of Floridians now have become quite foolish because, again, I, when I was there on, on a different story, it was, it was on CPAC, I think, they were all saying, yeah, well, where's the global warming? We haven't had a hurricane in three years. You know, what are you talking yeah. about? Uh, and and they, they don't seem to realize that it's when they come, they're worse. You know, that the thing about global warming is generally they're more frequent, but they're also much worse. And, uh, mm. and so the, there's a sort of a denial about all of this and the consequences. But as I said, huge damage, two and a half million people now without power. Um, Ron DeSantis, it'll be interesting to see how he handles this because he's such an anti-federal government. Well, the only thing that helps in this situation is FEMA comes in, which is the Federal Emergency Management Agency. They come in and they provide people with temporary accommodation. They provide people with emergency shelter. They provide. They set the whole thing up. So for all the talk of these red state governors, who ironically always seem to be running states that are more prone to, to weather catastrophes and, natu and natural disasters, uh, that the first thing they want then is the feds who they load and who they, you know, talk about big government. Without them, they'd be sunk. So I think FEMA is is in there and down there already. And as I said, this is this is almost a paint by numbers exercise. Well, this 
Category five hurricanes are really rare. There's only been four yeah. in US history. That's what I read today. I yeah, say that like, like I know about this stuff and I've literally yeah, just read right. this article. I've been two he, in the last 30 years, yeah. Yeah, so uh, what's there to stop there being another one? I mean, there's nothing to stop it. We, I think it's strange to hear you describe it and then they just rebuilt and the insurance company yeah. charges them even more yeah. the next time. But yeah. if we are to uh, believe and follow the data and the scientific analysis is that this will be a more frequent event and there's a good chance there could be another one very shortly. I really, oh, yeah. all I can say is I just feel terrible for those people that you mentioned who can't afford to bail out or uh, aren't uh, a Trump family who will just look forward to the new refurb of the mansion. We do need to go to the Eugene Carroll story that we covered was it last week well uh, federal, it was last week yeah. yeah federal appeals court set aside the judge's ruling that donald trump uh, could be sued for defamation by eugene carroll after denying he raped her though it stopped short of declaring the former u.s president was immune from the author's lawsuit now a lot of people are saying that this two to one decision is a big turning point in this would you go along with that mary um, I think that it is, but I also think that it's, you know, I think that this is a wrong decision. Now, uh, you know, with all due respect to the court, because if we look at the context in which the court, the appeals court reached this, this instant happened in, in either late 1995, where, well, I, and I don't mean to say instant, I mean the alleged rape happened. Mm. And it, it just in, in late 1995, she says, or early 1996. Now, that is what a full, is that 30 years before Trump became president? I think it is. My I think so. Might be off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, she, or is it 20? Anyway, okay, it's decades before Trump became president. Now, he accused her of being a liar and of trying to promote her book, which is the, the cause of the defamation action that she brought against him, that she said that he raped her. He said, you're a liar. You're just trying to sell books. He said that while he was president, but it was in no way connected to any of his work as president. So to me, that is just a terrible decision because it means anything you do before you become president, you can then, if you, you just reference it or whatever while you're president and you get a big umbrella, which you have no entitlement to, in my view, this big legal umbrella that can cover anything you did beforehand for decades. So I think it's, it's a bad decision. However, I do think that the main action that she will now be able to bring, which is, we spoke about it last week, the, the New York law that says that from the 24th of November this year, uh, any adult survivor of sexual abuse can sue any perpetrator, um, and not just for sexual abuse, for sexual harassment, for any kind of sexual misconduct, um, or rape, or, or a serious sexual assault, or, or you know whatever it is, that for a year, they have a year to file these claims and to, to get them into civil court. That is, I think, worth a lot more to her. And I'm not talking financially because, you know, yes, you can win a defamation action, but what she wants, and she has been very clear in this, is she said she's not doing it for the money, although I'm sure she would get a big award if a jury finds in her favor. But she said what she wants is for Trump to be held to account. Now, doing it through a defamation action is a very circuitous route to doing that. But now being able to do it through a straightforward sexual battery 
which is what she's now suing him for, uh, not defamation, in, in the New York courts. Uh, I think she is very likely to get a good result from that because remember, in civil courts, it's a preponderance of evidence. There's no reasonable doubt. And she has always claimed, as I think we said last week, that she kept the clothing that she was wearing at the time she claims Donald Trump raped her in a dressing room in Berthoff Goodman on Fifth Avenue. And so she says that all she needs is a DNA test from him. Now, a civil court judge will order to undergo a DNA test. And if they match, I think then, you know, she, she that is a, that's beyond reasonable doubt. If they don't match, then I, I don't, you know, who knows where to go from there. But basically, she will get her day in court on this one. And, you know, there's a really strange thing. Donald Trump did say, I could shoot anyone on Fifth Avenue mm. and my voters would still support me. You know, maybe that the, there's a 25% of hardcore MAGA or maybe 30% of the electors who will say, oh, who will continue to deny and say she's making it up, even if there's a DNA test that proves it. Uh, but I think for a lot of people, you know, you're voting for a president who has just, if, if she, and I don't want to jump the legal gun here, but let's say hypothetically, a civil jury finds in her favor. It gives her, it, it awards her $20 million against Trump, which I suspect would be the, the kind of figure they'd be talking about in damages. Uh, and then, and is this guy then going to run for election? A guy that a civil court, you know, he, that puts him in the, almost in the, the, you know, in a very unpleasant, to put it mildly, category of people. And how are you going to defend that if you're running for office? As I said, his voters will vote from regardless. But will, you know, the, the in-between group, the 10% who swing, the swing voters will, you know, I to me, that will be a big factor. Now, I will counter that with when I was down in um, Alabama, you may remember Judge Roy Moore was running for the Senate and uh, it was known and there was no question that he had been a, a predator and that he groomed 13-year-old girls, multiple teenagers, uh, to have sex with them. And this was considered a reason that he was not fit for the Senate. But when I was down there covering that campaign, the number of women journalists who said to me when I asked him about this, because he had a group of supporters who would stand behind him everywhere. They were mostly women. The number of women, not just those, but other women said, who I spoke to said, yeah, well, you know, things are different here. Things are different down here. You can't use your liberal values. And and they said, you know, girls used to be able to get married at age 12 here. So they had a totally different perspective. And that is a really worrying thing to me that they still didn't even see anything wrong with girls, be, you know, being able to get married at 14. So mm. there, it's a really muddy area. But I think in New York jury, if there is compelling evidence and, and if they do find in her favor, I think Trump's in trouble there. And I think that that would be much more devastating than a defamation lawsuit, which a lot of people well, will roll their eyeballs and not bother to read the small print on. Well, no doubt about it. There's going to be more on this. And I do want to raise something before we go to the break. We did an episode back in 2020 about 26 different women that had accused That's President right. Trump of sexual misconduct since the 70s. My question is, where did all those cases go and why is this the only one left standing? Later in the show, Marion discusses the culpability of banks and Trump's inflated asset valuation fraud, the Adnan Syed retrial, Ukraine, Novak Djokovic doing very strange things and more. 
to hear the rest of this week's episode in its full extended cut without advertising interruptions, come on over to patreon.com. Start enjoying premium Irishmen abroad and hundreds of one-of-a-kind interviews with the greatest Irish people of all time for as little as five quid per month.